Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Today is a special day for, for our family. It's uh, my firstborn, Jackson Legend. It's his uh, eighth year on this earth. Amen? Eight years. So just um, um, I, love, I love my son. Um, we named him Jackson Legend just so that way he could remember every time his name is called, that he, his name means God's uh, grace and favor and legacy, that he would leave a legacy of God's grace and in favor, amen. And uh, so, happy birthday to my boy. Love him, and may God prosper him and use him to do great things for His kingdom in these days ahead, amen. Doesn't matter what, how old, he could start right now. At 12 years old, he could be anointed the king. All right, never know. Things like that happen. All right. All right. Well, today, as you know, it was today, Sunday, right? It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, I wanted to cut you guys off there. But it's definitely Palm Sunday, and um, as Charlene said, some of us are wearing palms. I, I kind of got palmed up, so forgive me for that. And uh, I thought last week's, uh, last week's uh, shirt was the only palm shirt that I had, and then I was looking through the closet and I said, what, I have, I have another one. So excited to know that now I have two palm shirts, so I could do this. All right. But um, open up your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 21 with me, and I want to kind of get into this with you, and, and, and it's going to be just a review, and a lot of it's going to be new for what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart today as well. What I'm going to do today at some point in the message is I'm going to go to, uh, I'm not going to say two different sermons, but I will go to two different sermons that I've preached before. One was last year while we were under, I guess, the, was that considered quarantine or whatnot, but while we were under the stay home, the stay home, uh, protocol, and, um, and we shared a message on that pump Sunday. I'm going to grab a snippet from that message, and I'm going to share it today, and then I'm going to grab a snippet from a message that I shared years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was, whether it was five or six years ago. How many of you remember the, that, that Sunday where I put a big target on Omar's back, and I talked about a threat, and um, I talked about the threat for us, the threat. I think it was like three or four weeks that we got into uh, that that title of the threat. So I'm going to grab a snippet from one of those messages as well, and I want to share it because I've learned that when you, repre- when you repeat, um, it's like, yeah, I think you said that before. For some of you, you probably completely forgot it, but it's good to bring things up again and to bring things up to back to memory so you can memorize these things and know these things. Amen? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday uh, is today, and it's a special day. Uh, for believers, and it's a special day uh, to all who believe and follow the scriptures. Uh, traditionally, uh, today marks the first day of Holy Week, which we know leads to Good Friday, and it leads to Resurrection Day, Resurrection Sunday, as it's called today in many places, and may, many of us call it Easter at the end of the week. So, we, I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 21 because that's where we're going to be at right now in, in a moment here. We're going to read through Matthew chapter 21. And, and this is where we're at right here. We're going to go back in time and find ourselves in Matthew chapter 21. And what is happening here in Matthew chapter 21? Well, 
It is, yes, Palm Sunday. It's the kickoff of Holy Week. And it's the week right before Jesus' crucifixion. So when you come back next Sunday, we're not going to be digging into Palm Sunday no more. Next Sunday when we get together, we're going to be what? We're going to be speaking about resurrection. Because we're going to really celebrate, celebrate, and hopefully you can come to celebrate next Sunday. If you have any kind of somber in you, shake that somber off. And, and with that somber, you know, with that heaviness, come and bring your great celebration unto the Lord. Try your best to celebrate. And if there's a great day to at least discipline yourself to do that, it would be on Resurrection Day. Amen. Which, is, which should be called Celebration Day too. But on Resurrection Day, we'll get together and we'll talk about not necessarily Good Friday, the day he died. Not necessarily Palm Sunday when he entered, but the day where he resurrected and the day where he concreted, the day where our religion, our faith is not futile, but it's in truth because our Lord rose on that third day. Amen? And that's next Sunday. And it's a beautiful, it's a, this was an amazing week throughout scriptures. If you study it and you read it, what transpired in Jerusalem during this week over 2,000 years ago. And we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 21, the last moment. It's his last moment as a free man. It's Jesus' last moment as a free man. It's his last moment doing ministry on earth. It's his last moment with the crowds that follow him. It's the last moments with the disciples that together they've grown into family. I want you to think about that because I, sometimes when we read scripture, we're like, oh, but Jesus is God, so it's like no big deal for him. It, it is a big deal, and it? And death is hard regardless of who you are. It's like the person that says, oh, my gosh, that person died at 8 years old. Oh, my God, that person died at 80. It's still hard regardless of what it is. It's still hard. It's hard. And Jesus going, it was hard for the disciples. We know that. It was so hard for them that they didn't even know what to do anymore with their leader. I feel like they, were, they, they went into such a dark place that they picked up old habits again. Think about that. They went back to go fishing and they went back to their old lifestyle that when Jesus resurrected, he had to come back and say, what are you guys doing? Why are you out here again? I didn't call. Did I spend three years plus doing life with you so that you came back to your old habits, your old ways? Sometimes we miss that. We don't interpret it. And we're like, wait a minute. Maybe they were going through it because, man, the guy that they loved just died. It was hard for them. And they were down. And they're like, what are we going to do today? Let's just go fishing. Let's go back to fishing. Let's go back and take, I guess we're done here. I mean, he's, he's gone. And God had to put that spark in them and says, no, you carry the mantle now. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. And, and now they have to stay in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Remember all that? And the Lord had to tell them all that. Okay, you stick around because some days from now, you're going to see what's going to happen to you. There's going to be a fire that is going to enter you. And when that fire comes upon you and the Holy Spirit becomes alive in you, you're going to do the things that I've done and even greater things you're going to do. So, so they needed that because I think they were down. And, and, and this is Jesus' last moment. It's the moment where Jesus enters, listen, into Jerusalem. Such a beautiful place. If you've gone to the trip with Jerusalem, I'm seeing a couple of you that have gone to Jerusalem with us. It was such a beautiful moment when we came out of that cave structure mountain. Do you remember that? And when we came out, they played the song in the bus, Jerusalem. It's a beautiful song. And the tour guide says, everyone look to the left now. We all were on, on, on the windows. Everyone, the whole, like the bus was sideways. And as we were coming out, going, going up that mountain, and when we came out of, that mount, out of that mountain, and we saw the sunlight, and we looked to the left, and we saw the, the dome of the rock, and we saw where the, where the temple was, and we saw Jerusalem there. It was like, 
it took all of our breath away and people in the bus would start to weep. I mean, it was just a beautiful sight for some of us. That was the very first time in person that we saw Jerusalem. And it was impactful because we know the word of God and scripture and what scripture has said. The history of Jerusalem. The history of Jerusalem during Jesus' time. And the history of Jerusalem in the days to come. So when we saw it for the first time, it impacted me. One of the greatest impacts of my life was that. When, when, I, when I saw Jerusalem for the first time, it was like, whoa, it was, it was insane. It was so cool. It was so cool. But this is the last time where Jerusalem, is he's going to enter it and, and do life there and ministry there. The final time during his earthly ministry. Though, as we say it's the final time, it won't be the last time, though, because he'll enter it once more. Amen. And he'll enter it once more for all eyes to see, and we await that day, which will be the second coming of the Messiah. And he will enter, mark my words, Jerusalem once again. Can't wait for that day. So we look at Matthew 21 and we say, so what happened on this day specifically? Let's go ahead and let's just read and I'll pause as we get into verse by verse. We'll, we'll pause there. And I decided to read from Matthew's account this year. Uh, last year I actually got into the triumphal entry again. And I, I forgot um, whose account I got into. Um, but, but this year I'm definitely going to jump into Matthew in chapter 21. Verse 1 says this. I'll read from the NL. Today It says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And here's where he tells them what to go do. Go into the village there. And as soon as you enter it, take the donkey tied with its coat beside it. Untie them. Bring them to me. Verse 3. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say that the Lord needs them. And he will immediately get, let you take them. So here is the whole instruction. Go into the town and I need, I, need, I need that donkey. I need you to go in there and, and, and bring it to me. And that's a very popular story. That's something that we're very accustomed to. We're aware of this triumphal entry as we call it. We're, 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 we know somewhat of uh, Palm Sunday. But what we see here as Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem... Right before he's about to enter it, where do we find Jesus at? Before we speak about all that, let's talk about where he is presently giving instructions at. He's in a very, very important location. And did anyone catch it? Where is he? Mm -hmm. By the what? Mount of Olives. Very important. The Mount of Olives. Say it with me. Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is a, it's a, a lot of it now, it's just a big graveyard. You'll see it. It's... It's, it's been a, a burial site for many years, and uh, I mean, it's, it's insane um, how many years people have been buried there, and, and it, it's real cool to see the slope where that's at. We stood there, and we've seen the slope there by, by Gethsemane and by the east of the Mount of Olives, about 30 uh, is it miles or, or so from, from Jerusalem, and you see the Mount of Olives, and, and you see for what it is, and, but, but why is this Mount of Olives so important? It's a very important location for many reasons. But in this week alone, Holy Week, while Jesus is there for his last week on earth and in Jerusalem, it is significant for these reasons. These reasons. There's a number of messianic prophecies that are being fulfilled. So Jesus is there for his last week. And as he's there, he is going to fulfill prophecies of the Messiah. And they are made specifically throughout this time. And right here in this location 
on the Mount of Olives during what we would know as the Passion Week, right? The Holy Week, the Passion Week of Jesus. So as Jesus is in this last week of life, the Bible records that he visits the Mount of Olives. And he visits the Mount of Olives some three times in this last week. And as he visits it some three times, each time that he visits it, it is significant. Now, it's not the only reason why the Mount of Olives is significant because we could continue to talk about olives and what that means and what, they, what that mountain was for. But I don't want to get so lost in that right now. I just want to get lost in this Passion Week, what happened significantly as he visited this Mount of Olives three times during this week. Number one, what we're talking about today. The first thing we see is the triumphal entry. Jesus, what is he doing as he's entering into Jerusalem and he begins from the Mount of Olives. When we went to Jerusalem, that's where we started. I don't know if you guys remember that went, we took a hike and we kind of took a trail and it started from the Mount of Olives. And he says, this is exactly where Jesus, how, how it happened during his time. This is like the path that he took into Jerusalem. And we kind of got to experience it in a modern day, what that path looked like. But let me ask you a question, and I'm seriously going to ask you, like I want to answer. The triumphal entry, what was Jesus doing? Give me one thing that Jesus was doing, entering into Jerusalem. What would you say? Anyone? Fulfilling prophecy? All right. Anyone else? Displaying humility, that's good. Displaying humility. All right. Triumphal entry. You guys are a little shy today, so I'll just keep going. Read the crowd. Read the crowd. All right. <laughs> so as Jesus is going to enter, he's officially presenting himself to Israel as the Messiah. Here I am, the Messiah, right before you. It's on the very day uh, this prophecy is predicted. On this very day of triumphal entry, it's a prediction of this prophecy. Because what is he going to do? From the Mount of Olives, he is going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And that is very significant that this man, who they would call the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus that comes from what? From the root of David, okay? That when he would walk in, they would cry out, Son of David, to him, okay? Knowing that he was, that he was this man, and then he rides on a donkey officially he's showing I am the Messiah and this is important we see it all throughout scripture in Psalm 18 we see this prophecy in Psalm uh, 118 25 Psalm 18 Psalm 22 verse 26 as well in Daniel chapter 9 very popular passage in Zechariah chapter 9 which we'll read that verse in a little while very powerful passage all throughout Matthew 21 and the other accounts so Jesus is presenting himself as the Messiah. I am it to every witness that's here. And he's fulfilling prophecy at this very moment. Number two, what else is significant in the Mount of Olives in this last week as Jesus visits it about three times? Number two, he gives a discourse, a teaching. If you've ever studied Matthew 24 and 25, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In Matthew 24 and 25, you and I could call it the Olivet Discourse. And what is Jesus doing? He's grabbing in his disciples. 
And as he grabs them in, he leaves the temple for, the, for, for one of the last times right there. He, he leaves the temple, which is the second temple, and he leaves it for its final time. Listen to this. For its final time, Jesus leaves the temple. Do you remember how he leaves it? See if you guys remember. What does he do? What was one of the last things that Jesus does in the temple? Right, right, before, uh, right before Matthew 24 and 25. He clears the temple out. He clears out. He's, all right, this is my last time here. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to start flipping tables over. I'm going to start telling people what I think. And, and it's a beautiful moment. He starts to clear out the temple. You guys have made my father's house into this, when in reality what my, what my father's house should be is this. And, and he kind of rebukes and teaches the leaders there what's going on. But he joins them after leaving the temple. He joins them in this Mount of Olives and he shares this discourse. And, and, it's his, and, he, and he's teaching his disciples about judgment. And not only that, but basically explaining the prophecies and in the anticipation of his second coming. Tell us when you'll come again. Tell us more about it. So what does he do? All throughout chapter 24 and 25, read it for yourself in the book of Matthew. He sits with them and begins to teach them and show him all these things. For them, it was a first-time revelation to hear all these things. Whoa, what's going to happen next? They're hearing these things out of the mouth of Jesus, and it's unreal for them. For us, we're like, ah, we're so church. We've heard about all these things so many times. The Olivet Discourse. Number three, another thing that happened in the Mount of Olives throughout his last week is the betrayal and abandonment. We all know about that, right? On that same slope, his disciples had hailed him as King, Messiah. They sang songs to him. Hosanna, Hosanna. The disciples themselves as well, some four days earlier, claimed him as the King, as Messiah over the earth, over Israel. But yet, four days later, what happens? His very own Judas would betray him. And not only would Judas betray him, because all of us, what, we tend to say, but Judas is a betrayer because he initially is the one that sold him over for some little bit of money and then had him crucified. But in reality, all the disciples pretty much betrayed him. They all walked away from him. They all kind of left him there. They were all living in some sort of fear. So it was a betrayal and abandonment. I love how Psalm 41 puts it. In Psalm 41 verse 9, it says, Even my close friend, Psalm speaking about this prophecy, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. He's speaking about Judas there. He's speaking about disciples there. He's speaking about men. Even they, 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 look at Judas. I served him so well for all these years, and yet he rose up against me. And yet it happens right there in the Mount of Olives. Another thing that happens for the sake of time is, no, I think we're on number what, four, three? Ascension. The ascension happens there. After his resurrection, Jesus, what? He gives the great commission to his disciples, and then he ascends to heaven. And where does he ascend to heaven? He ascends to heaven from no other place than from the Mount of Olives. I love that. The Mount of Olives is such a significant place to the Lord. And he ascends to heaven from the Mount of Olives. I'll read you this account. It says, it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. They strained to see him rising into heaven and two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing? These are two angels. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Verse 12, and the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile.
know where I got 30 miles, half a mile. And then the last thing that I'll mention that is important about the Mount of Olives is not just his ascension, but I will say this, his second coming. It's the place of his going, the Mount of Olives, was the last place where Jesus went. It was the Mount of Olives. But the place of his going will also be the place of his coming. And Zechariah predicted this first coming of the Messiah that would appear on the Mount of Olives. But the prophet Zechariah also saw that Jesus Christ would come back and touch the Mount of Olives on his second coming. And you can read Zechariah chapter 14 if you want to see that. But I'll just grab verse 4 for a moment. And in verse 4, Zechariah writes, The feet will stand on the Mount of Olives on his second coming. Very powerful, verses 1, 2, and 3. He's in the Mount of Olives, and some very significant things are going to happen this week. Let's go to verse 4, and I'm just going to read through the, the, through the text here, and then I'll pause. In verse 4 through 11, it says this. Remember, he went, go get the donkey, bring it back to me. So look at verse 4. They took, this took place to fulfill the prophecy. Here it is, all about fulfilling the prophecy. That said, verse 5, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. This is found in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. And then he says, he's humble, he's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. What is he doing? Fulfilling prophecy. Verse 6, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead. <clears throat> and others cut branches from the trees. And they spread it on the road. Verse 9, Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Translation says, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Praise God in the highest heaven. Verse 10, they enter, or the entire, forgive me, the entire city, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. As he entered, who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, I love this, Jesus doesn't even have to give a name for himself. The crowd, you know you're big. When the crowds reply, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Beautiful scripture. So he's entering into Jerusalem. The songs are being sung. Palm branches are being ripped off from the trees, being placed on the road. They're taking off their garments as well. And this is fitting behavior for a king. And this was a very specific and important time because it's a festival time. It's a time of feast and Jerusalem was slammed with people. It wasn't just a little bit of people that were in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was slammed. It was a high moment um, during, uh, during the year for Jerusalem. And not only that, not only was it a festival time and it was slammed, but much of the crowd has been following Jesus from, if you remember scripture, he just left Jericho. I'll read you a passage in Matthew 20. In Matthew 20, 29, it says, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed them. And where were they going? This massive entourage was now going from Jericho into Jerusalem. Can you imagine? There's a massive crowd making its way. And there's one who is sitting in the middle of them riding on a donkey. And they're singing songs to him. And they're taking off their garments. And they're ripping the palms from the trees. And they're placing them on the floor. 
Can you imagine the religious leaders that know the scriptures? Can you imagine the Jews that know the prophecies? They're treating him like the Messiah of Israel. I mean, this was a, a, a scene. They're treating him as a king, as a king. Today's message is titled this, No Ordinary King. No Ordinary King. They're treating him as a king, but what Jesus reveals is that he's not any ordinary king. Because many kings have come before me, and many have died. But this king will fulfill every scripture that you bind yourself to, religiously, to prove who I am. And this king will not just die, but will resurrect and show himself as proof that he is the resurrected, not just king, but the resurrected Messiah who sits as Lord and reigns at the right hand of the Father. I am not just here to reveal that I am the king of Israel. I'm no ordinary king. I am here to reveal that I am actually where you put to mock me on the cross. I am the king of kings. I am above every king. And it was very important. I am Lord of all lords. So now they're, they're there on the way to Jerusalem, and they do this, and they treat him, as we say here, as this king, as royalty. Verse 8, I'm going to read it one more time. It says, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees, and they spread it on the road. And you look at that, and you're like, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing sight. We see this in the Old Testament numerous times, but we see it in 2 Kings 9.13. If you're taking notes, just write down some of these references. In 2 Kings 9.13, Elisha, as a young prophet at this time, is about to anoint Jehu, or he anoints Jehu as the next king. I don't know if you remember this scripture. And as he anoints Jehu as the next king, it says this. This is Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. It says, Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps, and they blew the ram's horn shouting, Jehu is king. This is, these are acts that have, done, have been done before for kings. And, and we see it here in the Old Testament as well. And I'm going to share with you some more stuff about the donkey. But I love how one commentary puts it. It's a scene of a royal procession. As Jesus is walking, uh, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem with a massive crowd singing Hosanna in the highest. And as they're ripping off palms and putting them on the floor and taking off garments and putting them on the floor. It is a scene of royalty to be honest with you. And you know prior to this time, Jesus would avoid such display. No, no, don't do this. Don't tell anyone. Before this time, Jesus didn't want the word to spread in such a way. We see examples in Matthew where he says in chapter 8, verse 4, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, when he heals the blind man, he says, and their eyes were open, and what? And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But now he is publicly presenting himself to Israel as the nation's Messiah, as the nation's king. What is he doing? He is demonstrating his kingship, the royalty of heaven before man. The crowds knew very well. Just listen to what they're saying. You, you know, just, you know, those people that always say, well, I don't care what people say about me. You, I mean, you shouldn't live about what people say about you. But you should definitely listen to what people are saying about you. You, you know what I'm trying to say? 
because what they could be saying about you could be really be saying some things about you that you might want to take to account and say, oh, wait a minute. It's not just like this one person. It's like multiple people are all um, saying the same thing. So I must really uh, check into that to see if it's true. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So, so what happens here is because so sometimes we have to tell that, to, well, you know, people always talk. No, no, no. People will always talk, but, but, but how many people are talking the same thing? <laughs> That's a different kind of thing. So what are the crowds? What are the people? Not one, not two, the masses of people. What are they saying? What are they saying? The crowds knew this and listened to what they're shouting. Listen to what they're singing. This was, this was custom for them. They're singing praises to him. I'm going to blow through Old Testament passages just for the fun of it. I had fun looking at some of this. In Judges 5.10, as Jesus is riding with a donkey, remember that because it's not the first time that this is symbolic and important for royalty. In Judges 5.10, it says this, consider this, you who will ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk on long roads. There's something specific, important about donkeys. Judges chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, after Tola died, Jair from Gilead judged Israel, here's a man of position, for 22 years. Listen to this, his 30 sons rode around on 30 donkeys. People of position rode on these donkeys, and they owned 30 towns in the land of Gilead. In Judges chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, after Elon died, Abdon, son of Hillel from Parathon, judged Israel, another person of high position. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, do the math, 70, who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. People of position rode on these donkeys. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, let's talk about David. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Zeba, the servant, Mephisobeth, was waiting there for him. Look what he had. He had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a wineskin full of wine. And David asked, what are these for? Um, the king asked Zeba, and, and, and Zeba said, the donkeys are for the king's people to ride on. It's for your people, your selected, your selected court. They ride on the donkeys. So when Jesus rides in on a donkey, it was of no surprise and it was no accident. He knew what he was doing. And I want you to know that the crowds knew exactly what it meant. Do you guys understand that? And when he rides in on his donkey, they think about all these Old Testament scriptures. They know their culture, the custom of their day. And when they see Jesus riding on the donkey, what comes out of them? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd shouting his praise is a cry. It is a prayer. We actually spoke about this last year in depth, which I won't do today. But it's a prayer that, address, that is addressed to the Messiah, and it is found in Psalm 118. I don't know if you remember that, but we broke down Psalm 118 last year. And in verse 25 and 26, here is the passage that is happening right now in Matthew 21. It comes from Psalm 118, and this is what it says. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. It was a prayer that the Jews knew, and it comes from this psalm, and they sing it to Jesus, the Messiah, as he's coming in. They're quoting this verse in song. 
And as we revisit this, this occurrence on Palm Sunday, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this humble donkey, in this triumphal entry, as we call it, on this day, at this very moment, Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy, a messianic prophecy. And we read it in Zechariah 9.9, the famous scripture that is read today all over. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. How many of you can say amen? And I started to think about this and I said, you know, I want to share and I want to repeat this from Palm Sunday a year ago. Here's Jesus and he's entering Jerusalem as king but not the king that, he ha- that we had or they had in mind. Come on, no ordinary king. And what a scene this was, the crowd is yelling, help, save us, as Psalm 118 teaches. And that's what Jesus is there to do. How many of you know someone, or how many of you have been there, are there maybe, where you've been to the place where I just need help, I need someone to save me? We all have a family member, a friend. Oh man, if God just helped them. It's the cry, the plead from within. And then as Jesus comes in, this is what he's there to do exactly. Not to liberate them from political oppression in which they were in. But to deliver them, how many of you remember this? From their spiritual oppression. See, they thought that they were oppressed politically. How many of you think that today you're oppressed politically? The reality is, We need to really dig deep inside. Wait a minute. Am I really complaining about political oppression or is my real issue is that there's a spiritual oppression that's happening? Where am I really sick? Because if I'm in Christ, what power does man have on me? So think about what spiritual oppression means to the believer and especially during Jesus' name. Think about what Jesus is trying to break. They're screaming, help us break the chains of Roman oppression. And Jesus answers, I'm here but to break chains of spiritual conditions. The crowds are screaming, be king of Israel, sit on your throne. Kick all the establishments out, right? Kick Caesar, Rome out. And Jesus says, no, I'm here. Not to sit on thrones made of men, because I've never ceased from sitting on the throne that my father God has given me. I sit on the throne as Messiah, as Lord of all. I am here and my name, the cry out of your mouth says it out, Hosanna. In the highest is present. Entering Jerusalem, I'm here. And I'm entering Jerusalem for, not for all of you to put a crown on me. I'm entering Jerusalem to place myself on a cross. Because my crown is already on me. Think about Jesus. I don't need any of you to put a crown on me. I just need to know if you're willing to pick up the cross. Like I'm going to pick up the cross. I'm not here to build slaves. I'm here to establish sons and daughters. I don't want to have a crown so you can just be on my beck and call. I want you to see something deep within me in this last week of my life. And that's what he's going to display to them. He's going to say that the crown is worth wearing because the cross was worth bearing. No ordinary king. No ordinary king. No ordinary king. 
I'm here to reveal that I'm the Lamb of God. I'm here to reveal I'm prepared and obedient to enter the slaughterhouse, to be your Passover Lamb as you've been celebrating for generations and waiting for years to arrive again. I am here. Hosanna is here. Hosanna, Hosanna, your Savior, your Liberator, your Deliverer, not to sit on the thrones of this earth or to sit in the glories of this world. I'm here to receive the cross that was entrusted to me, to receive the shame of this earth in order to fulfill and take hold of the glory that heaven has prepared for me and for all of those that will love me and come after me. That's why I'm here. How many of you sang the song, I Surrender All? Come on. How many of you are truly living what that song is being declared by your mouth? I'm here for them, the ones that are going to come. The ones that are going to take this and allow it to happen within them. Through this entry into Jerusalem, it doesn't make Jerusalem the sole city or my sole city that my heart cried. I know you've read the scripture, Jesus says, that I sat on the mount and I looked into Jerusalem and I wept over her. Pretty much as a father does for, her, for his children. But, but, but I know you know that scripture, but Jerusalem is not the sole city that my heart cries out for. All who come to believe, trust, and love me become my great city. We're now all the daughter of Zion. We are the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We are the city of peace. You and I together, what are we? The house of God. This is not the house of God. This is where the house of God meets, amen? And that's what he's trying to say. The house of God. Many of us treat the building with higher esteem than we, than we treat the building. We, we allow this to be defiled, but nothing in here could get defiled. One time we played like a secular music outside. I loved everything about your service, but you played that song. And whatever, that's okay. Maybe I agree with them. Maybe I don't. That's not for discussion right now. But they got so caught up about something like that, and it's true. That could happen. People could get so caught up about, oh, you defiled the house of God. But wait a minute. It's okay to defile the house of God here, but... I can't defile it here. We have to be very careful. You and I are the house of God. How do we treat this temple? That we get so caught up in this temple that we forget about, that's not the important temple. This is the important temple. Amen? All right. I don't know. Maybe that was for something. That was for me. That was for me. That was for me. Hallelujah. We're all inhabitants. We're all the house of God. Palm Sunday, the entry into Jerusalem is, the, is deeper than just what happened these 2,000 plus years ago. It still holds power. It's significant today. It's not about entering the land of Israel, an ancient holy city where his temple is established to be raised up again. A people who have dominance over the nations of this world. Palm Sunday, this Sunday, even today as we shared last Sunday and the, and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that and next year and, the, and for here for a few more years after that. It's not just this day. Not, uh, Palm Sunday is not just for that day. It's for this day. It's for right now as well. And it will be for tomorrow again and for the next day. It speaks a greater word over you and I. Palm Sunday speaks a great word that we are, yes, in the midst of despair and sickness and confusion, separation and division in this day more than ever. And Jesus is speaking. He's entering the land and he hears the cry of his people and he wants to hear the cry of us to him. Hosanna, Hosanna, the one who hears us. 
The king is hearing and wants to be heard. I'm here not to save you from what you're crying out for, but even better, when no king, when no ruler, no government, no man, no earthly intelligence can do, I'm here to enter lands and make what? Temples all around. Houses all around. My Jerusalem, my special people, to a land where my temples can be found. I dwell in them, demonstrate to the world my glory. How many of you know that this house is not alone to what? Demonstrate a glory of God. Your house is to demonstrate the glory of God to the land. That my fame will spread through each person. My name will be heard and spoken of through each person. My presence will cover the earth through each person. I will live in my people and they will reign and have dominions over sin, over the world, sickness, over evil. My people, my heart is that heaven will fill earth. That the ones to do this will be its citizens. The citizens of heaven. Those who are not of this world. How much have we preached that here? The, those whose citizenship is in heaven in the days that will bring heaven on earth in us to deliver others from sin, to bring repentance on this land again in a time where the earth is crying out and will cry out, Hosanna. Let it get sicker and sicker. Why? Because let the cry grow deeper of Hosanna. Hosanna and let it come from us as that glory shares unto others. I am here. I am here. Let's keep reading verses 12 to 16. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end at 16. It says Jesus now, as the crowds are saying, that's Jesus, the prophet, in verse 11, and they sing Hosanna to him. Look at verse 12. Jesus enters the temple, and he begins to drive out all the people buying, selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. So cool. I wish I could see this. He said to them, the scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came. To him in the temple. And what does he do? Not only is he teaching, rebuking, correcting, putting things in order. But look at his heart in his last moments on earth. The blind and the lame come to him in the temple and he heals them. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful, wonderful miracles. And even heard the children in the temple were singing, praise God for the son of David. It was traveling to the children. You guys know, right, what you adults do, your children will mimic and hear. You know, that parent that's like, I just don't know where my child gets that word, that, that language from. <laughs> He's at your house. <laughs> he got it from you. I, don't, I just don't know why my, my, my child is so. A lot of our children mimic us. People, oh, your, your son's just like you. I'm like, ah, I know that's good. <laughs> and they, the kids begin to see what their parents were declaring. The leaders were indignant. Verse 16, they begin to ask Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? (laughs) And Jesus says, yeah, haven't you read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Love this. Verses 12 to 16, Jesus is doing something special. And years ago I talked about he's a threat, and he's a threat to the religious establishment. He's a threat to those that wanted to keep the temple for them, to make money for them. Think about a man coming into church today and we do things wrong here and he comes up and he starts to scream in the middle of the service. He begins to scream all kinds. Of, imagine being in a service. Maybe there's thousands of people in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a service or something, hundreds of people. And a man stands up because a man is preaching heresy. And he says, heresy! For the word of God is to be pure and holy and when you speak it is to benefit from your own fleshly desires. And he starts 
flipping over your chairs and he starts to run around. The, uh, can you imagine if you were in the house of God and that were to happen one day? <laughs> so people are getting ready as Passover is coming. People are buying things for offerings and stuff like that, the animals, and, and they're taxing people way more and they're, 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 they're gouging up the prices and Jesus recognizes they've made the house of God into something that the house of God was never meant to be. Please do not judge Nest Church right now. And please don't judge your last church. And don't judge the other churches. I just want you to know, is the house of God what the house of God needs to be? That's the problem right there. That's the problem. Have you ran into that threat? I shared that a few years ago. Today the threat stands before you and he wants to damage things in your life. Amen. How many of you have been damaged by God? It's a good damage. You've never, been, you've never been, what's the word that we use? Wrecked. You've ever been wrecked by God? Damaged. Oh, but that's not biblical. Yeah, it is. The, the, what does the potter do? The potter puts his hand on the clay and what? And wrecks the clay, damages the clay to what? To then what? build it up again to the image that he wants it to be. God needs to damage and wreck us. Amen? Be open to it. He damaged things in your lives. I'm, I'm going to end soon. Maybe Seven minutes and 15 seconds. He's a threat to your comfort life, maybe. How many of you don't not raise your hand? But you know deep down inside when you're, when you're not that you're having a comfortable day because it's good to rest. But when your lifestyle has become a just a life of comfort. And he comes into your life of comfort and he begins to wreck you and say, are you satisfied living like that? And he begins to wreck your satisfaction of being comfortable. Maybe it becomes a threat of lingering bitterness that you have, hatred. Maybe it becomes a threat to your ongoing sin. Maybe it becomes a threat to your failing marriage. And you, he's like, hey, your marriage is doing bad. I know it is, God. And she doesn't get it right. He's like, yeah, but I want to talk about you. <laughs> it's going bad because of you. Maybe it becomes a threat I guess this is the same as comfort life. Maybe not. A threat to your mediocrity. You've been there? Way with God? Oh, I only go this way. Because you know what? Everyone else does it like this, so why should I go all the way? I'm just going to be mediocre. And he now wants to become a threat to your mediocrity. Maybe you've been hurt before, and because you've been hurt, you're like, I'm just going to be mediocre now. Listen, that's all between us and God. I've been hurt before, but that doesn't mean that I have to give Half of myself to the Lord. I surrender all. Maybe it becomes a threat to your bad attitude. It becomes a threat to your bad attitude. Maybe it becomes a threat to your wandering eye. Maybe it becomes a threat to your loose lips. And he has to correct some things. Maybe it becomes a threat to you and your friendships. Amen? The threat comes... As we shared years ago, Palm Sunday, the entrance into Jerusalem, maybe it's symbolic as I think we're at six minutes now and two seconds. It's going down to the five-minute mark. Palm Sunday, the entrance into Jerusalem, maybe it's symbolic as an entrance into your hearts, into your lives. He comes on a donkey to tell us it may hurt, it can be painful. I may seem a little hostile, dangerous, but I came on a donkey to represent that, yes, I don't necessarily come right now to make war. Next time you see me, I'll be a little different. 
I'll be arrayed differently. I'll be looking a little bit differently, but I'll be riding a white horse. Be ready for that day, baby. But right now, I'm just going to come in a donkey. A king who comes in a horse is a king who comes for war. A king who rides in a donkey is a king who comes in peace. When Jesus comes again in a, in, in a horse, he's coming to set this record straight. But as he's coming in with the donkey, maybe he's telling us, hey, I'm coming to bring peace into your life, to remind you that I want what is peaceful for you. How many of you continue to run against what is peaceful for you because you haven't allowed the man that rides in peace to really enter into your land? I come to make war with what I will find in you. And we see that right here, right, in Matthew 21. I'm going to make war. I'm going to flip over tables. I'm going to tell some people off right now. But I come to make and leave peace within you. And that's what he does. I love that he's making war. People are like, oh, my God, why is he doing that? But then, then in the corner of the room, there's kids dancing and singing songs. Look at that beautiful, peaceful picture. See the difference? And I think that's what God does within us. I think all of this stuff, too, represents something within us. He's a threat, and it's a good threat for us to bring damage to the nature of who we truly are. I love that Zacchaeus, the tax collector's in the tree. And the threat is going to stand before him and damage the nature of who he really is. And he's going to transform Zacchaeus' life forever. How about the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years? How about the Samaritan woman at the well? How about the blind man from birth? The blind man on the side of the road of Jericho that screams son of David. How about the blind man in beside us spitting on, and the one that he spat on mud? How about Lazarus from the tomb? How about the leper in Galilee? How about the deaf man and man? How about the dead daughter? How about the dead son? How about the demon-possessed all in Galilee? And we could go on and on and on over 30-something plus of these miracles all throughout the New Testament. But I think you get the point. He, what is he doing? He's confronting everyone and damaging them so that they can really see who he really is and who they really are standing before him. So what is Jesus really doing? He comes as we shared as this threat. He comes as this king, so beautiful. And what does he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, Luke 4.18. To proclaim freedom and release captives. To make the blind see and to set free those who are oppressed. How many of you can say, yeah. That's exactly who he is in my life. He's allowed the good to come into this poor, the good news. He's proclaimed freedom and released this man from captivity. He's made this blind man see again, and he's set this man free from oppression. How many of you could say that's the king who rode into my life and transformed my life forevermore? I love that. As I end, I end with an article um, from uh, Luke Wayne. And he, I, I'll grab a snippet of it, and he asks this question, what is Palm Sunday? And he says this, I'm just going to read it. He says, the Bible nowhere commands or even implies that Christians must annually commemorate the event of Jesus' triumphal entry. Instead, um, indeed, forgive me, there is no evidence that Palm Sunday was conceived of, it the first cent of the first few centuries of the church. It seems to have developed over a time as traditions surrounding the celebration of Easter grew longer and more elaborate, not taking form until much later in history. It's going to get good. So there is no burden on the conscience of any Christian to celebrate Palm Sunday. It is simply a tradition. Still, there is nothing wrong with the idea of dedicating a day every year to celebrate Jesus 
as the triumphant king and long-awaited Messiah who sits on the throne of David forever as the Son of God and the Lord of all nations. While we should remember and honor Jesus as our victorious Lord and King all the days of our lives, there is certainly nothing sinful and perhaps something quite healthy about holding a regular public celebration and commemoration of the fact, especially as part of our overall remembrance of Jesus' sacrificial death and glorious resurrection around that time of Easter. The triumphal entry in its context, in the passion narrative, should also serve as a reminder to us that John 1, 11 and 12, that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Mere days after Jesus was hailed in the streets of Jerusalem as the victorious king, he then was put to death on a cross. Yet through the cross, he indeed conquered. Last two weeks we said that he said what? Oh, and I conquered. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have conquered it, for I have overcome this world. He indeed conquered. By dying, he killed, he slew death. And when his tomb was found empty, it was found that no tomb could ever hold those who are in him. Jesus is the victorious king indeed. And Palm Sunday is a celebration of just that. Again, Luke 4.18, he came as the anointed one to bring the good news to the poor, proclaim freedom and release captives, to make the blind see and to set free those who are oppressed. And today we could rejoice and know that though we could put a loved one in the grave, that grave, that ground, and those ashes have no hold on us. For we also, what, resurrect in power with him. That is why he came. That is why the triumphal entry is so important. Jesus is king and Messiah. He is no ordinary king. And he should be no ordinary king in your life and in your relationship with him. It is no ordinary relationship. It is no ordinary conversation. It is no ordinary lifestyle. You live with Christ in you and you in him. And it is not ordinary at all. Amen. He's no ordinary king. Can you stand with me on this beautiful day? Lord, I thank you today and we love you. I thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you are no ordinary king. I thank you for the reminder that, Lord, you took on this flesh. You came to this earth. You said the things you said, did the things you did. You took the suffering you took. And you made us sons and daughters. Today we find hope in you that even in death, death can't hold us. Scripture says even death, where is your sting? None of it has any power because we are in you. We may mourn the absence of an individual on earth, but we rejoice in celebration of our union in eternity. And Lord, we thank you because though this entry 
was significant. That death on Friday, that resurrection, that all these very important things of our faith. Very important, very significant. That Lord God, it's a reminder to us as we too suffer in Christ's sufferings. And Lord, we die in your death and we also resurrect in your power. And Lord, we just love you for that because you're no ordinary king. And all I can say because of that, I'm no ordinary son. I am no ordinary son and should I never, I should never be just an ordinary son. Let them say, let it be, let me do what I need to do and let it not be ordinary at all. Let it be rare and different. Let it be outstanding. Let it be glorious. Let it be revivalish. Let it be something unheard of, Lord. I want to be like John the Baptist out in the wilderness, Lord, dressed in camel's hair, eating, Lord God, grasshoppers, locusts, Lord God, and honey, Lord. I want to be wild, wild at heart, oh God. Because you're no ordinary king and I'm no ordinary son. We thank you for the triumphal entry. Not just over 2,000 years ago, but the triumphal entry that changed this temple that changed this tent, this tabernacle, that changed my lands forever. And because of that, the generations that follow will know that you are God. My son, my children and their children will know that Jesus Christ is King, is Lord, is Messiah. Because you have rocked, wrecked, and damaged this land for the good for the good of those who love you, for the glory of your name, and the generations that follow will be impacted. Thank you, for you are no ordinary king at all. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King. And together we say, yes, Lord, and amen. Come on, can you give God some praise? It's worthy, it's worthy, it's worthy of it all. Amen.